We're in the middle of a series called Family Work in Progress. And if you, if you and your family is just you and your chihuahua, you still have work to do. Uh, even, even if your family is big, like the Brady Bunch, you still have work to do. Family is a very interesting thing. Uh, the first week we talked about we have to have a proper image of who God is. Uh, number one, God loves family. He really does. The first institution that we see, uh, the first institution for humans that we see is, is husband and wife, family. God loves family. He's all about family. So he's about improving it. But you have to have a good image of who God is. So if you're wondering if he cares about you, you're wondering if, he, if he's interested in your situation, it will cause you to do one of two things. You, you may uh, never involve him in that area. Thank you, Caesar. You may never involve him in that area. Or you may get to the place where, you know, you just, you just think he doesn't care. He somehow has something out to get you or, or he, doesn't, he doesn't want something good for your life. So you've got to have the right picture of who he is. Uh, when you're his child, you have to know that he's a good father. Uh, maybe you didn't have a good father growing up. If so, I'm sorry. I, I wish everybody would have a good mother and a good daddy and everything would just be uh, wonderful. But that's not always the case. But you can't compare God to any negative person you've ever met. He's nothing like that. He, he's good in every way. He is love, the Bible says. The definition of who God is, God is love. So in any area of your life, you have to have the, uh, a good perspective. Uh, the, next, the, the, the week after that, we talked about you've got to start where you are with God. Now, everybody has heard about the perfect family uh, with the white picket fence and, and the mom and the dad and the dad uh, uh, with, with two kids and all the other things or three kids or ten kids, just, the, just this beautiful, perfect family. Let me tell you something. That exists on television and in the movies, but it does not exist in real life. So wherever you find yourself, maybe, maybe you, you, uh, you know, got, became a mother earlier than you would preferred in life. Maybe a father, maybe it was unexpected. Uh, maybe, maybe your situation, maybe you were ransacked by a tragedy and your family has just been uh, a little bit off, off center ever since. You've got to work where you are and begin where you are recognizing that God has a plan for your life specifically and he has a plan for your family specifically. And the Bible says that our past, good or bad, has not much to do with our future. No, God says that your future will be better than your past. So you may have had a phenomenal last 20 years. Well, guess what? You're going to have an even better 20 years in the future. You might have had some struggles and some areas that were, that were rough. Well, well, those days are over in the name of Jesus, and we're going from glory to glory in this thing. But, but we got to start where we are. You can't look at somebody else's life and, say, and spend your time going, I wish I had this. I wish my life was better. I wish. No, your life is your life. Uh, there's a saying that says you gotta, you got to play the hand you're dealt. Whatever you have in your hand is what you have to carry. Jesus said it like this when he was in the garden. He was praying in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying so fervently that the Bible said his sweat became drops of blood. And he prayed, he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, meaning if there's any way to rescue humanity, I would rather not be whipped and beaten and spit on and nailed to a tree until I died. I would like this cup to pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. 
What I'm saying is, you have a cup to drink, and I cannot drink your cup. I have a cup to drink, and you cannot drink my cup. So wherever you are in your family dynamic, that is where you start when it comes to working on uh, uh, the family issues and areas of your life. So don't get discouraged because your family doesn't look like that family. Don't get discouraged because uh, you have family members that are uh, fruits, nuts, and flakes. Because let me just tell you something. Every family member's got fruits, nuts, and flakes. And if you do not think your family has fruits, nuts, and flakes, you are the fruit, the nut, or the flake. I'm just saying. This week, I want to talk about a bit of a controversial topic. And, and it, can be, it, can be a little bit, uh, it can be a little bit heavy. So I'll just kind of give you a little forewarning. But I want to talk about who you allow in your tent. I want to talk about who you allow in your tent. Uh, Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. Uh, this is where Jesus is going off with uh, three of his disciples uh, to a mountain. And he says, it came to pass eight days after these things, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Uh, Number one, Jesus went to the mountain to pray. Now, if the Son of God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, needed to set some time aside to pray, how much more so do you think we ought to set some time aside to pray? Furthermore, uh, he didn't just pray when free time hit. Now, maybe he did. But the Bible says that he went to pray. Some of us would never be five minutes late to the dentist because we want to honor their time. We don't want to be late. We want to make sure that we're punctual. We want to honor them. But we've, refu- we've never set an appointment with God. Some of us have never set aside some time and said, I'm going to pray at 9 o'clock. I'm going to pray at 8 o'clock. It's one of the biggest changes in my spiritual life. It happened several years ago. But I was informed of a, of a pastor of my a pastor friend of mine who, who's very uh, strong uh, pastor does does a lot of good. I said I said how do you hold that time? So how do you get it? How do you make sure you don't miss it? He said simple. He said I have three standing appointments every day with God. He said and if I miss the first one, I'd really try hard not to miss the second because his plan is to hit at least one out of the three. He said but if something happens and I missed the first one, and I missed the second one, there is no way on this planet I'm missing the third one. He said, because I said it at 11 o'clock at night or whatever, when everything else has already faded away of the day. But he sets appointments, and I began doing that. And it began to change my spiritual life. Whenever literally you're, you're, you're saying, God, you're so important to me, I'm going to set an appointment to meet with you. You say, well, I can't do that because i got to go to work and i got to do all these other things. Everybody's got to go to work. Everybody's got life. You know, there's 24 hours a day allotted to every single person. Some of us, if we'd set those appointments, we would honor God uh, and God would begin, we'd begin to see God move in our life in a stronger way. But Jesus went to the mountain to pray and he took Peter and James and John. Now, Peter's interesting because Jesus calls Peter the rock. 
He calls him uh, Cephas. It, it literally means a stone. He, he, say, he took one of the guys that was solid in his ministry. We would find later that even the solid rocks can waver at times. But he took the guy who was one of the guys that was most solid with him. Then he took James and John. James and John are called the sons of thunder. People that were with Jesus, they were, they were focused on the things of God. But he took those uh, three guys up there, and the Bible said, as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. I love King James. I love the poetry of it. Uh, but in a different translation, it would say, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became very white, even brilliant white. Even Jesus changed when he prayed. Sometimes we pray and we're asking God, oh God, change my situation, change the outcome, change what's happening in my life. And what the miracle really is, is he doesn't have to change your situation as much as he has to change you. You're saying, oh God, make them quit saying all that stuff about me. Make them quit talking about me. Make it better at work. Make this happen. Make that happen. And all of a sudden, you begin to pray and God begins to change you and the things that bothered you no longer bother you anymore because God is doing a miraculous work, not on everything around you, which He is, but the more important thing is He's doing an important work on the inside of you. But it only happens in His presence. It only happens when we take the time uh, to do it. So He begins to change. And behold, there talked with Him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, in glorious splendor, and spoke of the deceased, spoke of the death that He should accomplish at Jerusalem. So Moses uh, and Elijah are talking with Jesus on a mountain. Jesus transforms into a bright being with amazingly beautiful clothing and in glorious splendor up pops Moses and Elijah and they're all talking about the cross. They're all talking about the sacrifice that Jesus is about to uh, uh, make in Jerusalem. They're all talking about what's going on. Now, granted, uh, for you and for me, it would be like, well, wait a minute. How does Moses and Elijah know that Jesus is about to die? Because Moses and Elijah died a long time before now. How do they know that? Well, the book of Revelation says that Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the world. 2,000 years ago, give or take, in, 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 on earth is when it actually took place in our time constriction. But God is not constricted by time. Everything that was and is and is to come has already happened in eternity. So God is familiar with this. So when Moses and Elijah uh, gave up the ghost in this world, the Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, that he led captivity captive, which means he took the people that died in faith, washed them in his spotless blood, made them white as snow. Now they can go to heaven. So Moses and Elijah, when they gave up their last breath here to be absent from the body, they immediately were present with the Lord in heaven. It's a powerful exchange for Moses and Elijah to be coming from heaven and heaven knows what's going to happen. Heaven knows what has already happened from the foundation of the world. You see, Jesus is not plan B. Jesus is the plan. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except he come through me, but by me. There's nobody, there's no way else, there's no other option that can work. So Moses and Elijah are sitting there and they're chewing the fat with Jesus, uh, looking all glorious and splendid. And then sleepy and sleepy number two and sleepy number three begin to wake up. But Peter and they uh, that were with him were heavy with sleep. 
And when they awoke, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. Now, now I don't know about you, but, but there's been plenty of nights in my life when I'm about to go to sleep and I, I got my head on, oh, Lord, I love you. Thank you for this day. And I didn't walk with Jesus all day. I wasn't hearing the Lord of glory pray. So what I'm trying to say is, let's not beat ourselves up over our prayer life. Let's just commit to make it better. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus, seeing miracle signs and wonders all the time. They get asked, which means they're like in the club, you know, the, the close club. They get asked to go to the mountain with him. And they can't even keep their eyes open. I don't know how long Jesus prayed, but it had to be in a little while. So Jesus prayed and Peter, James, and John are asleep. And all of a sudden they wake up and they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And Jesus glowing and Moses and Elijah are glowing. And I want to know, did, did Jesus say, hey, Moses, hey, Elijah? Or did they just know who they were? Because they don't have cameras. They didn't have, they didn't have uh, uh, Insta-pic or Insta-deal. Help me out. What is it? There it is. Great. They didn't have all that. How do they know uh, what Moses and Elijah look like? The Bible says that in glory, listen to me, you will know people as they were known. That means that your great-great-grandmother that died at 172 years old in faith by the a chariot of fire took her, you know, she probably is not going to look 172 years old in heaven, but you're going to know her as you knew her, the Bible says. Those loved ones who've gone before us, I, I, there's, there's a bunch of different theories out there, and I'm going I'm to spare you from one of my opinions at this time, but there's all kind of theories out there about what age people are going to look like in heaven. But I believe Peter, James, and John saw them and knew them. I don't know if we wear name tags in heaven. I don't know, but they knew who they were. So it's a powerful thing. They, they wake up and they see uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus praying. And, and, and it came to pass as they departed uh, that Peter said to Jesus. Now, Peter, he's generally speaking the spokesman of the group. And, and if you don't have a spokesman in your family uh, that you know about, you are the spokesman of your family also. So Peter's like the spokesman, and they're about to leave. And Peter says, Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Me and I'm glad we saw this. Let's make three tabernacles. Let's make three uh, uh, huts that, that, that will be protected with some shelter. For, for one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, but it says he didn't know what he said. Now, a, a lot of theologians believe that what was happening is, is Peter was putting Jesus on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. Because he didn't say, let's make you a big one, we'll make them two little ones. He said, let's make three tabernacles. And all of a sudden, uh, while he said that, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. I know you just saw Moses. I know you just saw Elijah, but you can't put Moses and Elijah in the same box with my son. This is my son. You've got to listen to what he said. It doesn't matter who's in your life and what level of influence they've had. There is a difference between the son of God and everybody else. 
You put Jesus at this level and you make sure nobody else ever rises to that level. And can I just say this? Let's not take, let's not take preachers to this level either because they will let you down. If you if you're if you're just uh, uh, curious, uh, there's going to be everybody. We had a, a meeting a, a few weeks ago or a week ago or so, and and I just we had I don't know fifty or hundred people, and I, it was one of our leaders' meetings, and I said I said who in here has been hurt in church? And one hundred percent of the people lifted their hand. No, if you put people at the level of Christ, then you're setting yourself up because sooner or later somebody's going to say something you don't like. Somebody's going to not speak to you when you thought they should have spoke to you. Somebody's going to forget to shake your hand or, or not see you. Somebody's going to, if you put them at that level, I'm just going to tell you, you're setting yourself up. So when that began to happen, when Peter goes, man, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, you want to talk about the trio, that's the Holy Spirit trio. These guys, boy, they are bad. Moses tell the water, get out of my way. Elijah said, fire come from heaven, burn this up. Jesus does all kinds of water, wine. You can see, you can't see. Peace be still. Walking on the water. You guys are awesome. And all of a sudden, the Lord himself says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my son. Listen to him. We have to put Jesus in the position that Jesus belongs. There is no one higher there is no one greater. He is overwhelmingly strong. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is overwhelmingly powerful. The Prince of Peace. He changes your situations. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which had been, which had been seen. Peter, James, and John recognized that it was not a good idea to share every secret that they had been exposed to. Number one, there's major wisdom in knowing who to bring close to you in your life, who to bring close to your family in your life. Some people are like spiritual bug spray. They just repel the things of God. Some people laugh and joke all the time and have never had a serious a conversation in front of you in their life. And there's nothing wrong with laughing and joking. I'm all about having a good time. But if you want to bring somebody in, if somebody's going to begin to access your life, if somebody's going to begin to have access to your tent, you've got to be so wise about who they are and what they're going to do with the information that they get. The Bible says that God is a holy God. So if somebody is filthy in their conversation, if somebody is filthy in their thought process, if somebody's constantly ridiculing everybody, if somebody always has a problem with every single thing that ever happens in their life, if somebody's like that, if somebody's constantly negative about everything, listen to me. I'm not telling you don't have a relationship with them. I'm not telling you don't be friends with them. I'm not telling them you kick them out, kick them out of your family. I'm just telling you, you got to be wise about who comes into your tent. 
There's a difference between the conversation you have over the phone. There's a difference between the conversation you have when you see somebody at Kroger and the conversation that happens on your couch. There's a difference in that level. And if you're bringing that spiritual bug spray, if you're bringing that Holy Ghost repellent into your home where you know that's not the way the Spirit of God operates. God doesn't like to be around people that are talking bad about other people. Every time a Pharisee rose up talking about somebody else, Jesus said, I'm not with those guys. I'm with these guys it was always a situation where when somebody is trying to repel God you've got to recognize that you can't have everybody close to you just because they know your name just because they know your phone number just because they know where you live just because you went to high school together just because you played on the sports team together just because you have the same blood type just because they're your cousin just because they're your aunt just because of any reason I'm going to get what God has for me and my family and I'm not letting anybody repel it off my life you got to be careful about who comes in your tent even if it's your family there might be a season you need to get away from your family told you it's going to be a little bit controversial today if you're under 18 you cannot tell your parents the preacher said I got to get away from y'all bless God you're like spiritual bug spray I'm too anointed for you anyway, mom. No, 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 no. What if David had just stuck with the family? His brothers who were ridiculing him when all he was doing was bringing them something to eat on the battlefield and he heard that there was a giant that didn't like God's people and his inner man rose up on the inside of him and he became a great victor for God. What if he had chosen to just stay in status quo with his family and believe what his family said about him? What if Joseph had never separated from his family? What if Joseph had never been uh, separated from his brothers who were ridiculing him, tried to murder him, tried to throw him out, and then they sold him into slavery? What if Joseph had never gotten away from his family? What would have happened to uh, Israel and our lineage? The Bible says, Christians, we are grafted in uh, to Israel. We're grafted in uh, to the Jewish people. These are our brothers and our sisters. What would have happened to our lineage if Joseph hadn't been separated from his family for a season? For you to decide that I'm not going to be around this kind of stuff and I don't care what their last name is, that doesn't mean forever. It doesn't mean forever. No, just when Joseph thought it was hopeless, his brothers came back to him crying and saying, please forgive us, we love you. Sometimes your family needs to see that you mean business when it comes to the things of God and you're not going to sit there and get in the mully grubs with anybody for anything. And can I just say, especially if you have kids and grandkids, because what you're around, not what you tell them, what you are around is what they will consider normal. So if your family reunion consists of a bunch of drunks sitting on the back of a tailgate, drinking a bunch of nonsense, and, and they call you and they say, are you going? You say, no, I don't think so. You just don't. You're too good for this family. I'm, everybody always wants to see the kids, and you're stealing them from us. No, I'm not going to let my kids think that sucking a bunch of Budweiser's is normal in this life. I'm a Christian. There's things we do and things we don't do. I'm not going to let it be normal uh, that, that 16 packs of cigarettes a day is normal because I don't want my kid picking one up off the side of the road and smoking it because Cousin Joe did it and Uncle Billy did it and everybody else. 
I'm not going to let my kids think that just because Susie and, and Billy are sitting on the couch talking bad about preachers on TV that that's normal and now all of a sudden my kids think it's okay to talk about preachers on TV. I don't care who, what your last name is. You're not going to rob my children's future. You're not going to rob my grandchildren's future. You're not going to rob the joy in my marriage. If you've got that family friend that's doing nothing but talking about her husband 24-7, talking about how bad he is and, and how he ain't never done anything right his whole life, all of a sudden you get to the place where you go, wait a minute, you know, I don't think this is right, the way to be talking to him. And you kind of have a conversation, can we talk about something else? And they just keep on and keep on and keep on. Maybe you need to act like Joseph and get away for a while because if you can get away for a while, maybe in the future you can drag them out of the mess that they're in. But you don't rescue somebody out of a pit by jumping in the pit. You rescue somebody out of a pit by throwing a lifeline, by reaching down and helping them up, by giving them an opportunity to climb out of where they are. Now, you got to do it cautiously. You can't do it haughty. You can't be looking down at anybody. But listen, your family is your responsibility. When you get before God, you're not going to answer for my family. I'm going to answer for my family. So we've got to get to the place where we recognize it's very important who we allow close. Just because somebody uh, knows your name or number doesn't mean they should have unfettered access. That's number two. Number three, there are things that should not be shared with everyone. And there are things that should not be shared with anyone outside of your tent. Everybody should have some people in their life that they, are, that they are being pulled up by and every Christian should have people in their life that they're trying to help along the way. It creates a beautiful chain that can't be broken. If you've got people in your life, uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a successful uh, uh, person uh, or a couple that, that's been married for a long time and, and you say, you know what, I just, I don't know. When we have these issues that pop up, maybe they know something about it and, and, and maybe they can help me in that situation. That's the, kind of situ that's the kind of conversation that you can have with that type person, but you better know the type person before you have that conversation. There's other things that in the covenant of family should never be shared outside the family. There's things you're going to go through in life that you go through together. And if you let anybody else into that circle, you're setting yourself up for heartbreak or otherwise. Because outside of your presence, you don't know what somebody's going to say. I've heard several times people come to me and said, you know, so-and-so said this about you. And I never really questioned why they said that about me. Because I learned a long time ago that your opinion to me is none of my business. Your opinion of who I am is none of my business. I set my opinion of myself by what God says I am. Some people have been talking about you. They've been talking about you from the time you were this big and you've spent your whole life trying to please them. Maybe you've never thought it through, but you've spent your whole life trying to please them. They, they, they somehow passively, aggressively control a lot of your actions and you're trying to figure, maybe they're already in heaven. Maybe they've already done that and you're trying to live up to what they were thinking when the reality was is what they thought about you has no bearing on who you are. What God thinks about you has all the influence on your life. 
But we've got to get to the place. We've got to get to the place where we literally recognize that it is imperative who we allow in our tent, in those areas that are most exclusive and most private. No, it's a powerful thing when you live for God and it's a powerful thing when you recognize the great responsibility you have in your own family. There's a story uh, in the book of Genesis. It's right after Noah uh, built the ark and, and the floods came and the floods resided. The, the boat came down and Noah gave a, a sacrifice to God. And, and, then, and then Noah drank some, some, some grape juice that had fermented and he got really, really drunk. And he found himself uh, 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 naked, drunk, or I guess passed out in his tent. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, and, and Ham goes into his tent, walks in, and says, Whoa, my goodness gracious, brother. Because Noah was not young either, so it might not have been pleasant. So he walks in, he's like, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and he sees his drunk, passed out daddy naked in his tent. And, and he goes to his brothers, and he goes, You guys are not going to believe what I just saw. I wish I could wash my eyeballs. But daddy is drunk and passed out in his tent. Shem and Japheth, the Bible says, doesn't even indicate that they answered him. But they got a cloth. They held it over their shoulder. One here, one here. Come help me, John, real quick. One here, one here. And they backed up to where their daddy was. And they laid the cloth over where he was laying. Thank you, brother. And they covered up all of the imperfections of their father. They didn't take part in the, the, the gossip about, can you believe dad did this or dad did that? But that didn't happen by chance. When Jesus went to the mountain and, and he, was, he was transformed to, uh, to be glorious and he was shining and everything was wonderful, he went to the mountain to pray. These boys didn't just walk in and go, oh, I hope we don't see my dad. The Bible says they walked in backwards so they would not see the shortcomings of their father which is to say this you have to purposely look away from the shortcomings of your family if you're going to get good at covering their weaknesses they put the cloth on him and come out of the tent Noah had just been a hundred years building an ark Rescued all of humanity. Every one of us can trace our DNA back to the, uh, the, 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 the family of Noah. All because of his 100 year diligence to do what God told him to do. He lived on a boat with his family. I don't care how big the boat is. If it's just your family, that boat's going to shrink up after about three days. <laughs> he offers a sacrifice to God. Rainbow come. God speaks to Noah and the family with a, with, a, with a billboard in the sky. He has one bad day. 
and Ham starts running his mouth. If you're around that person, family or not, and all they do is run their mouth about somebody else, you're one bad day away from becoming the topic of their conversation. It is imperative who you allow in your tent. Number four, access to your tent is not by default. Just because somebody knows you doesn't mean there shouldn't be some limitations in your life. Just because somebody is family doesn't mean there shouldn't be some limitations in your life. Just because of the length of time of relationship doesn't mean that you should have, that somebody should have unlimited access to you or your family. Jesus was followed by multitudes. Sometimes we, we, we read about him being in houses and the houses would get so full that people would have to literally tear holes in the building to get in. Sometimes he would be preaching and he would say, there's, there's too many people here. I can't stand on land and preach. Let me borrow your boat and, and, and I'm going to push off a little way and we'll use the beach as, 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 our, as our pews. That way they can see me. The hundreds and thousands of people following him everywhere. But only 12 lived life with him. I'm not telling you that you should limit your close friends and family to 12. But I am telling you the ones you live life with need to be sharpening you like iron sharpens iron. And when you do go to those family functions or friend functions where you know it's going to be a little bit haywire and your whole spirit, spirit man or spirit woman is just a little tweaked about the situation, you don't go into it passively. You go into it like Shem and Japheth walked in. You take that cloth and you walk backwards and say, I might see some stuff today, but I'm not, going to, I'm not going to use that to make me think that they can't be great in God. And you make sure to be the one who's covering sin, who's covering weaknesses, who's covering shortcomings, who's covering when the family messes with you again, who's covering those situations because the Bible says if you'll do that, God God himself will vindicate you when the time is right. You stick with it. And in the right season, God's going to use you to be the one to deliver them. It might take a day. It might take a week. It might take a month. It might be years. But you'll be the one. He had 12 he lived life with. He had a moment where he was going to go pray and it was an important time to pray. Some supernatural things were going to happen. Some private things. I believe Moses and Elijah were there to encourage Jesus. He was about to die. He's about to give his life. And sometimes, more than anything, you just need to tell somebody that it's worth it to live for God. Maybe Jesus was reminded about those gold streets and those mansions where there's no sickness, where every tear has been dried. Maybe Moses and Elijah were just going, Jesus, we're so thankful for what you've done. I know you're fixing to have to endure it in, in, in this quadrant of time, but all oh, the people are so thankful in heaven. They love you. I'm so thankful. 
Maybe he just came to encourage them. Followed by hundreds and thousands. Lived life with 12. But when he needed to get away and really connect, he just took three. But even then, oftentimes he would tell them, you wait here because I'm going to talk to the only one that I know never fails. Amen. In your life and my life, we're going to live life with people. In your life and my life, there's going to be a handful that know some of the biggest things you're dealing with or not dealing with. You're going to go through some of the heavier stuff with them. But make sure when you know it's serious that you go to the one that can make all the difference. When anybody was compared to Jesus in this situation, Moses and Elijah, God the Father spoke from heaven and said, nobody compares to my son. Live life with family, not against family. But we've got to be wise about who we allow in our tents. Stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching.